0: Welcome to On The Mic Podcast. This is your host, Tim Drake. Today's episode, I have writer, Gwenevere Turner, and director, Mary Aaron, from the new film, Charlie Says. Uh, You may best know Gwenevere and Mary from the hit film, American Psycho, as well as the notorious Betty Page and I Shot Andy Warhol. Uh, I've been a fan of their work for quite some time. Uh, I was very excited to be able to chat with both of them. I actually didn't know I was going to be speaking with Mary until after I'd gotten off the phone with Guinevere, um, and their publicist reached out and said, "Hey, we've got Mary for you. If you can do this in just another hour here," uh, so it was a little rushed, but I was really excited to talk with her. Uh, both of them, you know, have such a cool story of how how they kind of came together um, and working on these films. Charlie Says just hit theaters this weekend, and for those of you that don't know what Charlie Says is, it's a look at the Manson family and the women uh, that you know were were brought into the Manson cult, and the, and the prison teacher that tries to help them find their. Self worth again, um, and realize you know the crimes that they've committed. Uh, it, it's really just kind of a psychological thriller, and such a unique look. You know, there's so many different type of Manson movies coming out um, that have already come out, and and they all kind of you know drive down the same path. And this was a whole different perspective uh, that I really was not expecting. I didn't know what to think going into this, um, but I, I really really loved the film, I was starring Matt Smith um, as Charles Manson, which. I mean, all of you know how big of a Doctor Who fan I am. I was a little nervous going into it. I always get nervous when one of the Doctors is playing in a different role. Um, but but Matt Smith knocked it out of the park. At no point was I like, yeah, hey, I'm watching the 11th Doctor plays Charles Manson. No, he was he was incredible in it and very, very eerie. Like, whenever I talked a little bit about the casting process uh, with Matt Smith uh, during her part of the episode. And, yeah, it's just so cool to see him. Uh, of course, Hannah Murray from Game of Thrones uh, plays Leslie Van Houten in it. And, yeah, it's just it's so incredible. Suki Waterhouse, who's also um, in Detective Pikachu that's out right now, Um, she's in the film as well. Um, But yeah, it was so cool. I went over to the Soho house here in West Hollywood uh, to screen the film. Uh, Also, very unique experience. I've never been to the Soho house. And that screening room, I am determined that I will have that in my home someday. Uh, If you follow me on Instagram at timdrake42, uh, you saw that when I put that up on my story there. Really a cool screening room uh, that, yeah, I I will own a, a, a replica of that someday. Uh, But yeah, this film, really, really such a fun, incredible psychological thriller. Uh, It's in select cities now. We'll have the links up on the website so you can find out where Charlie Says is playing near you. Um, And yeah, make sure to get out and see that. And, you know, really, really take it in. It It, it is a fascinating film uh, to, to, again, see it from the women's perspective uh, that were brought into the Manson cult. Uh, there was so much to talk to uh, with both of these, both of these incredible women, uh, talking with Guinevere about her writing process, you know, being able to adapt this story, uh, talking with, you know, Mary about, you know, the, the director's approach. Um, and also, you know, their work on American Psycho. Uh, of course, I had to dive into that. And Mary had a really fascinating history I was like, quickly, you know, like I said, her her interview kind of came up very last minute. Uh, and I quickly just jumped in to find out a little extra information about her. And she was one of the, one of the you know, co-founders of Punk Magazine back in the 70s. I mean, that that magazine came out, you know, a good 10, 15 years before I was born. Uh, but I was really excited. I've always been, you know, aware of this magazine. She was one of the first people uh, to interview, or actually the first person, if I, if I recall correctly, uh, to interview the Sex Pistols and the Ramones. Uh, So, yeah, it was really fascinating talking with her about that. I jumped right into that immediately because that, you know, we we talk about these movies, but I want to be able to have more of a real conversation with them as well, Uh, even with such limited time. You know, people are so much more than just the current project they're working on. Uh, So, you know, I had to be able to talk with her a little bit about that because, you know, I I love punk. You know, it's always been something that, you know, has fascinated me. It's my favorite music style. Um, So, to, to be able to talk with somebody who was part of the early days of CBGB and Punk Magazine, had to dive into that you know it was, it was it was cool to be able to talk with her about that uh, but again i hope you guys really enjoy this episode get out and see charlie says uh, as it's playing in a city near you again those links will be on the website at on go check that out i'll uh, we'll have a new episode next week i'm going to be sitting down with austin kind of catching up we haven't done one of those episodes in a while and uh we have a lot to talk about uh, so, yeah, stay tuned for that. Um, again, hope you guys enjoy this episode with Gwennavert Turner and Mary Heron. Enjoy the episode. We'll see you next week. Excited to talk to you here, Guinevere. So we'll just dive into things, because I know that our time is kind of short today. Um, okay. But first off, so I've, I've always seen your name uh, come up as a writer um, on, of course, one of my favorite films, American Psycho, um, as well as Go Fish. Um, but as I started kind of researching you a little bit here, uh, after watching Charlie Says, you have such an extensive career as, as an actress, as well as a director, and I, I was I was shocked that I was not aware of so much of this. Tell me a little bit about your, about your backstory and how you got started.
1: Um, I just, it's sort of funny, uh, a, a, a sort of, un, it's not a template for anyone really. I, I, you know, I never studied screenwriting. I never studied acting. I wanted to be a fiction writer, sort of studying college. And I wanted to make this movie because I felt like lesbians were so underrepresented, uh, at least the way I knew them. Uh, and so I, I'm, wrote the screenplay for Go Fish and then then we made it into a movie and then I was off and running in terms of you know having people interested in me as both an actor and a screenwriter which is kind of incredible really
0: yeah <laughs> so do, do you feel that things have improved in that in that regard uh, as far as le- lesbian representation in film
1: oh I mean I just picked up a lint roll and started talking into it so <laughs> instead <I'm> of sorry <laughs> um i have a dog and it covered me uh Told 25-year-old go fish-making me that the L word was even exist much up that I would work on it and act on it um, and that, you know, sort of where we are in general and the movies and representation and how actors and actresses, I I, I don't think I would have believed you. I think I would have first hear the story but also thinking that you were telling me a lie. It, just, it, it didn't seem possible back then. And, you know, there's still leaps and bounds to go but it's kind of uh, the difference when our film came out is uh, Exponential, and maybe I'm just old, and you know I am so used to that that now it seems like everything. Just, when the younger lesbians ask me that question, then I say it's amazing. They always
0: say, yeah. <laughs> So now, as as I mentioned, um, you know one of my all-time favorite movies is American Psycho uh, that that you that you yeah. wrote. How how did that film and that story kind of come about? I know that was something that you adapted. Um, how, how did you kind of learn uh, that story to, uh, to, to bring that to paper?
1: Um, through Mary, because Mary's first film had been um, I've had in world, and she was getting all this sort of attention and you know make movies about crazy people. Um, but this one, she you know she was, had read the book and sort of been aware of the kind of cultural phenomenon that it was. And she came to me, because we were all, already working on our film, The Choice, and she said, she knows me, and she knows I don't like scary movies, <laughs> uh, which is hilarious, I know. Um, and she said, you're going to hate me making you read this book, but I think we can make a really good movie out of it. Um, and so I did, and I did hate her, but I also saw her point. Um, and so that's how that came about. It's just, um, Mary, it's the same thing, the same way that I got involved with Betty Page. Mary's like, you look like Betty Page. And I'm like, who's Betty Page? And then cut to five years later. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so now you, you you bring up mary how how did you guys kind of come together because charlie says is is it now the third film that you guys have worked on together
1: it is the third one that we've made and we have an entire fourth one that we've written oh excellent uh, that will be next um, as soon as she's done making her next one which she wrote with her husband um, it came about literally because we had the same producer for our first film christine vachon was the producer of Charlie, of uh, um, I Shot in New Warhol, and then of my first film, Go Fish. And so Mary and I just met because we, you know, we ended up in the same room. And and literally the first thing that one of the first things that Mary said to me was, "You look like Betty Page." I said, "Who's Betty Page?" Um, and uh, and we started talking, and then we almost immediately decided we were going to try to write something about Betty. And there was an immediate affinity, sort of, you know, just being able to sit down, exchange ideas, write things down. To build off each other's ideas. You know, it's so rare and you know, we've been talking about it we've been asked about, you know, why how are we doing with things later? And it's funny because we not like it's really involved, it's like it is all always all that is so easily and obvious. And and you know, over the years when we both telling each other what we are working on for no Uh there's a creep uh, creative trust and I think it's been I think we met at ninety seven. Uh I also you know, knew her before she was married and
0: now her in college so now it's family yeah <laughs> yeah i mean you, you you guys create great projects together and, and i've not seen the betty page film but knowing that it's both of you behind it i'm very intrigued to see that to see that now and i know my wife is familiar with the with the story of betty page so i mean it's definitely something that i that i'm now intrigued uh, to see knowing that both of you guys are, are part of that now as
1: from our other films. But, it's, but in a weird way, Charlie says it's like
0: if American Psycho and Betty Page had a baby. All right. <laughs> I, I I'm intrigued even more just hearing you say that. <laughs> so now, as, as Charlie says kind of came around, I know this is another adaptation. Um, when, when it comes to kind of adapting these stories, what is your approach to be able to, you know, not just honor the prior author's work, but be able to... Make it unique and kind of your own story.
1: Well, the, 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 technically, these are uh, the, movies and adaptations of the books, but in actual fact, I read the family, the Ed Sanders book, and then sort of thought, oh, this is so Byzantine. And so, so like, everyone, everything about this book says a lot about. The writer and his relationship to it as much as it does about the story, and so I thought, Oh, I need to start to square one. And so I just started reading everything and watching everything, and then eventually I found Carly's Facebook. Um, so the process was I just had to be rigorous, and there's a lot, lot, lot out there. And some of the scenes in the movie are from Paul Watkins, who was he's, he's represented in the movie, but he doesn't do a lot, he's just one of the guys who was there. He just he he did some great interviews, and I had to sort of dig and find literal just images of like pages of you know these weekly sort of alternative papers from the mid 70s and some of his descriptions of scenes are scenes that are in the movie. So digging that deep, um, which is fun, but ultimately was uh, overwhelming. Like I had just to stop and make some choices. Um, but Carleen, when I finally got to that, I thought, okay, this is this is this is something her, and this is something that I can uh, build a
0: of the yeah, it's, it's it's really a unique way that you went about it, too. You know, there's there's so many different, you know, Manson type of movies and things that tell the story. But to tell this from even a feminist perspective, looking at this teacher who went in, you know, to teach the three women that, you know, were, were tried for murder um, and, and at one point sentenced to, to death, but then uh, went on to just life sentences. I, I did not expect it to go that way. And as, as soon as I realized that we were kind of seeing the stories through their eyes and, you know, their realization of of everything that happened and kind of breaking them out of that Manson cult mentality, it, w- it was really a powerful way to look at it because so much we just see this is what happened. This is the Manson story. And it's just kind of been done to death. And this was such a fresh approach. W- w- was there w- was that something that you planned kind of going into it that you wanted to tell it? kind of coming from a feminist perspective there?
1: Um, I think I wanted to tell it from the women's perspective, which is an inherently feminist thing to do, given how they've been represented. right? Um, and so and so that's why I was just doing research, because I was really trying to find something that divided them out as individuals. And there was stuff. I mean, Susan Atkins wrote her own book, and eventually I found Carly's book, so I could figure out who they were. I mean, uh, you know... Sadly or wonderfully, just the act of seeing them as individuals, it seems like a feminist act. And then when I discovered that she was the the warden of that prison, A, was a woman, which was very rare in the early 70s, and B, wanted to give, to use that expression, I want to give these women a feminist consciousness. I was like, I have hit the jackpot. (laughs) Like now, I have every reason in the world, because it's true, to show seminal feminist text on the screen, like Sisterhood is Powerful, and early, lesbian feminist, early um, you know, 70s feminists, Sisterhood is Powerful, and Our Bodies, Ourselves, and all these books that means meant so much to women at the time, and I just thought this is, I'm just, and, and I was just so, so, so happy that I found that way in, because I just had no idea. I think most people didn't have any idea that, that this happened to them in prison. It's, it's so fascinating, and it's so, I think, you know,
0: Carleen herself is an incredible character. Yeah, every one of them, both their character depth and the performance uh, that each one of the actresses gave it, really helped you see it kind of through their eyes. Hannah Murray is, is almost just eerie <laughs> as, as the way that she plays uh, her her character, where you can feel feel that naivety to her character, but then you kind right. of feel yourself sink into the same way that she kind of starts romanticizing Charlie and, and looking at him kind of as this, you know, God complex of a character.
1: Yes, and Yeah, and Mary uh, Heron, the director, talks about all the auditions she did for Leslie and how there's something about Hannah's just that sort of wide-eyed innocence that she has that's in her face and that she did so well in the audition that she, you know, there was no question in her mind that this was the, the face of, of Leslie, which, um, a side note, it's been really interesting doing press, standing next to Hannah Murray in these last couple of weeks. Oh, I <laughs> bet <laughs> <laughs> it's just so intense because that, that Game of Thrones thing is very real. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> the the first time I I actually met Hannah at Sundance uh, a few years ago, and it was it was kind of that awkward thing where it's like we were doing an episode of uh, and recording a live radio show for. The film she was promoting, but everybody was kind of like, "So Game of Thrones." Uh, <laughs> it was, it was kind of like it was the elephant in the room, but we needed to, to like be on the film she was there for.
1: Yeah, she's, she's become a master of the pivot. I, it's fun to sit next to her and watch her sort of be able to have a bit of humor about it, but just shut it down because she's there to talk about something else. I mean, I guess you have to be when you're a part of such a, you know, cultural phenomenon as Game
0: of Thrones. Right. So now when it came down to ca- to casting Charles Manson, I mean it's it's, it's such a, a f- intense character and when I first saw Matt Smith was cast, I'm a huge 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 Doctor Who fan and I get nervous when I see any of the doctors go into a role like that because I I'm just like how oh, is it going to take me out of the movie to see the doctor playing something, you know, th- as like an evil character. I mean David Tennant's been doing it on Jessica Jones and then seeing you know matt smith and i was just like all right i just have to check my brain out and i was astounded at how he just blew it out of the water at no point did i feel like oh i'm watching the doctor be evil i mean he just he just embodied charlie and it was it was very eerie every so often my brain would click back in like oh that's matt smith i mean what what was that casting process like if you were part of any of that
1: um yeah i mean i don't that endless, 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 endless casting that Mary as I could possibly. She's you know, she's sort of relentless with casting and is willing yeah. to take as long as it takes until she finds the right person. But she, she showed me his page, and we talked about um, why she wanted to cast him and she just said, you know, that there's something, you know, he that when he came into his audition he was kind of improving and kind of crawling around the room. It's finding things and and, you know, being able to really flip from the charming, goofy, likable, charismatic Charlie to the really terrifying Charlie, and back again. Um, and she, she's like, she said to me, "I'm sorry, I can't just cast someone based on their height because the script i really made a lot of the fact that Charlie was five too, and kind of wanting to see that you know these women were actually uh, some of them were taller than him, and you know he was this little guy." And she's like, at the end of the day. I feel like it's a better actor, you know, will embody it. And, and Matt himself, Matt Smith, you know, he said, you know, give me give me a bigger clothes that don't show off my, you know, very modern, worked out body, and, you know, and I'll find this way to sort of, you know, do that, the, the Charlie walk and the saunter and all of it. And, yeah, I mean, he's a really great actor. He, I, he you know, I never, we rarely saw him not as Charlie. He wouldn't speak and speaking in charlie uh charlie's accent um and i you know i got to have a lot of conversations with him as well about why why do we think and at what point in the story does charlie believe what he's saying or is he just bullshitting to get what he wants which is something i don't think either of us ever figured out (laughs) you know (laughs) at a certain degree i'm like i don't know it's hard to know what he believes what charlie believes and i realized he just said whatever he needed to say in the moment to get what he wanted
0: yeah, I mean he he was he was a master manipulator, and I mean it it shows in the way that that Matt Smith gives that performance. I mean you, it's very understanding how how these young girls that he knew that he could manipulate the way that he brought that in to the to the Manson family and the cult. Matt Smith made you completely understand and feel, you know exactly how those young girls may have felt during that time. Where you could see, oh yeah, that's that's how they got, you know, wrapped into all of this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, an important balance because you have to, he has to be charismatic in some way uh, on screen or, or we're not going to understand why they could get sucked in at all. Finding that balance the way Matt did
0: it, I thought was really, really, really impressive. Yeah. I mean, aside from his performance, of course, you know, what you wrote is a big, is a big factor in that. Did you find it difficult to be able to write you know, for somebody that was just a, a, you know, grade A manipulator?
1: Well, and the thing about Manson is that there's a billion, trillion interviews with him shortly after he was in prison and then, you know, onward and onward and onward. And so I sort of forced myself to absorb as much of that as I humanly could and then just sort of be able to to talk gibberish like Charlie in my head. So I sort of, you know, it it became a, a sort of, channel for me that I could click into. So not everything that Charlie says in the movie is literally quoting him, but it's sort of, uh, getting into
0: the rhythm of his gibberish, if you will. Yeah. So, and I, I really enjoyed too, the way that you guys brought in the musical side of it. One thing that a lot of people don't realize with these, uh, you know, serial killers and, and cult leaders is some of the human aspects. It almost makes it even more eerie. I don't, I don't know if you've ever been, uh, to the museum of death here in Los Angeles, But they have when you first walk in. One of their first exhibits is uh, a kind of serial killer artwork where they've got things from John Wayne Gacy and all of that. And they have a Manson section where they have like his guitar and things. And I thought that that was fascinating that you guys managed to show that aspect to be to show that you know he was this guy that you know just had you know this dream of being a a rock star in a way like the Beach Boys, and you know it, it, it. Gives him that human element that you almost forget that this monstrous person had.
1: Right, and also there's a sort of, you know, hopefully, kind of a meditation on if you had given this guy a record contract, all those people would probably still be alive. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, he just wanted, you know, he wouldn't have needed those followers if he was on a stage with people yelling and screaming his name. You know what I mean? He wanted to be a rock star. Uh, so I thought it was really important to show that because, um, because it's, you know, there's a part of all of us that want to be a rock star, and, it's, and that was the only kind of relatable thing that I could find about him. Um, but also, I, th- I just about it's like as part of, as part of the demystification of Charlie process. I thought it was really important to show that once he realized that Terry Melcher wasn't going to give him a record contract, he, things really did take a, a sharp turn. Yeah, because um, he he. he desperately needed another thing to keep his followers engaged. And so he just went all the way to town with the health or idea. Yeah. It, it
0: it was very, very eerie to see him switch. You know, it, it was just like something broke in his brain in a way that yeah he, he just goes off the deep that, end. You know, Matt Smith just learned, taught himself to play the guitar and
1: taught himself Charlie's song, which is also very impressive. And, and I think it's also really important to show, to really hear and see what charlie's music was to judge for yourself like should, you know was it good enough to have you know been a record and i mean mario always likes to say that she's because we, we all you know the, the songs get stuck in your head if you live with them through the editing process mm-hmm. the shooting and everything I mean, like, mario he says i feel like he could have had at least one hit yeah because <laughs> they, they are there's a catchiness yeah
0: yeah there there, there, there definitely was I, I i was intrigued by that the first time i'd ever heard some of his songs, uh, I think, it was actually at the Museum of Death. They had some playing, and I was, I was intrigued. I didn't realize that he actually did have some talent. Yeah, some,
1: um, yeah, not he wasn't, he wasn't terrible.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now? One scene that really stuck with me, and it's only because I literally live about a mile and a half from, it, is the scene in the La Bianca house. I, I actually, with a project that I'm currently working on, we had actually shot some stuff up in front of it uh, a few months ago. So it was—it was kind of kind of hit close to home to see that and kind of know that history and be like, that's just right down the street from me, and to kind of see it brought to life, knowing the history every time I drive past it, it was—it—it—it uh, mm-hmm. it, 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 it resonated on a on a very weird tone for me. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, just knowing the
1: space. it was—it was so randomly, literally. I'm sure you know this. Charlie had been. To a party at a house next door, but those people weren't home. So he's just like, "Let's just try these people." It's,
0: yeah. it's So uh, sort of bone chilling that it, that how uh, arbitrary it was. Yeah, it's it, it is such an eerie and just creepy situation. And yeah, that just going past that home, you you feel the the kind of ambiance now, knowing that history. Mm. So gonna I appreciate you taking the time to call in. Uh, now Charlie says, I know it's kind of on the festival circuit. Right now, you guys just did Tribeca. What is kind of the future uh, for Charlie and Where are people going to be able to see it?
1: Uh, it is coming out in theaters tomorrow.
0: Oh, wonderful. Um,
1: yeah, certainly here in L.A. It's playing in North Hollywood. It's playing in the theater in Hollywood, or, or Pasadena, Glendale. Um, and I highly encourage people to see it on the screen while they can because uh, it's really, really beautiful. Cinematography and up-close performances That on the big screen are kind of breathtaking, Uh, but it's
0: also on the digital platform May 17th. Excellent. So we'll make sure we have the links there for people to be able to find tickets and everything um, online. I can't speak, you know, high enough praises about this. Just again, you know, it's such a unique take on the Manson story and I absolutely love what you and Mary uh, put together for this film. Thank you. Thank you. Not a problem at all. Thank you again for calling in and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Bye. start off, I'm very excited to be talking with you. I just spoke with Guinevere a couple hours ago, um, and I, I was mm-hmm. telling her I've always been very familiar with you guys, of course, because of American Psycho, uh, which is one of my mm-hmm. all-time favorite movies, but as I was reading mm-hmm. reading up a little on you, you have such a fascinating past before you even got into film that really is intriguing to me, um, and that's how that you were part of the early 70s punk scene and helped start yeah, Punk yeah. Magazine.
1: Yes. Yes, it is. yeah. Yeah, mid-70s, yeah, mid-70s. 75, 76,
0: 75, yeah. How did that kind of come mid-70s. about, and what was that experience uh, it's like? It
1: was by accident. I have to uh, when I lost college, I, I, Virginia, and I moved to New York, and I got a job in a, it's a, a room and board. You used to be able to get these jobs for the Village Boys for room and board, and, and <laughs> the trouble I got was in a film comedy. These people were trying to make a movie, which sounded to me pretty bad, but it was fine, it was, Interesting. And I, I was I ended up being the cook in the kitchen during, during all the food, and uh, I met one of the people came in who had been working on one of their projects with this kid named um, Mike McNeil uh, who of course, and I you know we got talking, we got on well, and he said that he had a friend who was starting a magazine. I said I was a to be a writer. He said, Oh, my friend's starting a magazine, and asked what it's called, and he said, Punk, which suddenly is. Brilliant name, because I was this frightened I had ever heard of a punk rock. Yeah, It was just like a pump was like a jerky kid. I felt that so funny, So anyway, then Lex and John from the editor of Pump Magazine, and I all went to see the the first time any of us had ever gone. And we went and we took to see the Ramones, and Lou Reed was there, and they got a, uh, an interview with Lou Reed, and I interviewed, because they were busy, I, I interviewed the Ramones, which was the first, I think, published interview with the Ramones. I started
0: that' and I you know yeah that that's absolutely uh, incredible friends
1: with, with, uh,
0: you know, people I've always been so fascinated by that by that early era of punk and everything at c b g b I had always I'd worked in music for a bit, and I'd never had a chance to visit CBGB before it closed, and so I'm always so envious of anybody that got to experience it, especially in those early days as it had started.
1: Yeah, no, no, it was wonderful.
0: Yeah, so, <laughs> so now, as as I talked with with Guinevere, uh, she she had mentioned to me uh, because you guys have worked worked on a few movies together, um, and I was curious, you know, how American Psycho kind of came about. And she said that it was something that that you had, had talked her into reading. It wasn't usually her her kind of thing. She didn't like scary type of of uh, subject matter. How did you come across the? the book and the story uh, for for American Psycho?
1: Well, I had read the book when it came out in England um, because I was working on an art television show in England. It it was kind of a scandal, the book in England, and and one of the producers on the show I was working on refused to to allow uh, anything about the book uh, to be done. And I'd read Lesson Zero and really liked it I thought, how Let's see what this book is that's causing all this outrage. And, when I was reading, I, I thought this is really misjudged. This is actually a brilliantly satirical, It's very violent work, and uh, so I myself, the book was, was, was had a lot of brilliance and was very, very underrated. But I didn't want to make a film of it. That was the last thing. That's fine. But after my first film, some I got a call involved with the book project that said, "You know, would I be interested in directing it?" And and so. And maybe but I they sent me it, said I would have to write my own script. I started working on it, going through it and, and, and getting some ideas together and I thought we don't want to work with someone on it and and had had her film uh, which was Go Fish you know this first lesbian romantic comedy um, and I thought well, well that's a great thing and I think was famous for being misogynist and all the misogynist work always was violent against women I thought well if whatever is into it, you know no one can accuse us of being cautious. so I just done this you know film about a radical feminist, and she just did go fish, so I think together we would have a lot of confident approach material and and we read it, and she found the same thing funny thefi that i did and and she found it more of a critique of masculinity than a self celebration of it, yeah, and uh which it clearly is, I think, people, people would be on that now. And, and so we actually went very fast. I didn't think, I, I think we worked that faster than anything else. you know. And I think if that went faster than anything else I've worked on. Just to you know what, I mean, there was such great dialogue and that book and the scenes really do work. It was just more finding a structure for it. But we went off to Mexico for a few days, but straight down the ship and different friends came out and stayed with us. <laughs> <So, laughs> I, I can't remember how long the were in Mexico, but we, we really got a ton of, ton of work done.
0: Yeah, and it, and it's, a, it's such an incredible way that you guys went about the story. And it's so beautifully shot. When I was actually in, in film school, uh, the first couple years, they kept making us do scenery creations, which always kind of bugged me. I kind of wanted to be working on my own thing and not just trying to mimic other people's work. But one of the scenes that uh, one of the guys in my group decided we, we were going to do is actually the scene where uh, Jared Leto's brought over and uh, Patrick Bateman uh, oh, hits him with the sure. axe. And yeah. it seems, you know, just to like the general movie goer that it's, you know, just this very brightly lit scene. And that, you know, it, it it doesn't, people don't really realize how much work goes into trying to recreate such a, a gorgeous shot scene. And that has always yeah, stuck yeah. with me where I already loved the movie, just seeing all the work that you guys put into it. Yes, yeah, so it
1: was a great combination. Um, I mean, I insisted on the bright light against the will of the dc who wanted to do beautiful movie lighting but he did uh fanta- he's a fantastic dc and he he did fantastic framing and fantastic shots and uh the gideon uh Plumka doing to e, the production designer he did a, a fantastic set that has been very much imitated actually that that um maintenance apartments appeared in different videos and parodies all over the internet yeah but it was a great set. I remember Andre
0: and the tree tree when we, we first walked onto that set. He says, "Oh, it
1: looks just every ankle." So yeah, a, a lot of work. A lot of work. You know, what is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's. I I I feel well, that it's well, almost too it, under. I the costume designer for finding plastic raincoat. Yeah. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah, I I I feel that all the work just in that scene alone goes very underappreciated until you until you try and recreate right. it. <laughs> Yeah. So now, uh-huh. b- before we even really jump to Charlie says, I was kind of looking, you know, at some of the other films that you've done, and it seems uh-huh. that you kind of have a knack for some of the, not not necessarily true crime, but crime type of thrillers. So, what what is it that uh-huh. kind of draws you to that to that nature in your films?
1: I don't know, but even as even as a young teenager, is always a Hitchcock fan. Oh yes. Uh, we learned very young, like *Strangers on the Train*. Um, it was a favorite. Movie when I was a kid, Rosemary's Baby it was his favorite movie. Um, and it's just sort of, sort of psychological thrillers, I think, is what I'm really into. Can't explain why. Just you know, <laughs> just liking the dark side, I guess.
0: So, so. Yeah, I mean, there's there's something fascinating about him, and it's fun to get that adrenaline rush. You know, when you're reading yeah. a story or hearing it. Um, and 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 I understand the enticing nature of it, but I don't know that I've ever seen a filmmaker who just really tackles that that genre so well
1: <laughs>
0: Thank so you. now now Charlie says as I told of her going into the screening for this I didn't know what to expect because there's so many oh. different Manson uh, movies out there and a lot of them stick with the very similar kind of narrative and especially having Matt Smith as the lead i was nervous for my own <laughs> viewing experience because i'm a huge doctor who fan and i i was yeah. like am i going to be able to you know disassociate him from the doctor which i very easily did that was brilliant casting um but oh, as gosh. as far as it goes with the film to be able to tear tell it from the f- female narrative what what was that approach like kind of working with guinevere to decide you know how you guys wanted to approach telling the story
1: because we are naturally interested in the many stories, you know, and um, I don't know if you read her New Yorker article, but obviously she had experience growing up, the first experience of, of, of being in the family of something like that and seeing how it operated and seeing the, um, you know, the sort of the way power works, the way people kept control, the, you know, the, the sort of passionate devotion to the leader and how everyone always talked about leader and what they say, Charlie says, Charlie says, you know, um, and how a cult kind of operates somewhat like an abusive family. And so we were interested in, in, in the women and how that affected them and how they, why they stayed and, and how Charlie kept control over them and, and, and what they thought they were getting out of it, you know. It's all quite complicated. But we definitely were interested in things to
0: yeah. Now, when it came down to the, to the casting choices, um, I mean, Hannah Murray, uh, Tsuki Waterhouse, Matt Smith, I mean, all of it is so perfectly cast for each role. What was that casting experience like going through to really be able to make sure that every person's voice was represented, you know, the way that it well, was?
1: you know, I always spend a very, very long time casting, and I try and meet everybody and I, as much as possible, and sometimes it's not possible, but... I try and be in the room with the actors. I know a lot of casting is done on tape these days, um, and you just get get tapes you know, sent You know, you look at your casting tapes on your computer now. You used to always have to be in the room, but as much as possible, like do try and be in the room because I like to be with the actors and 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 get them to read things different ways. So it's a very long and time process, but it's really uh, very fulfilling um, and. And sometimes the right person comes in on the first day, and sometimes it's after you've seen 100, 150 people, you know, you just don't know. But until the right person comes in, you can't stop, you know. And my other feeling is that everyone has to be right, you know. It doesn't matter if they only have three lines. They have to be like right no small roles. Okay?
0: Yeah, I mean, a, a single goofy line read from the wrong actor You know, can can make or break an entire scene. So now I I completely understand where where you're coming from with that. Um, As as far as it goes, when when you see somebody like you know Matt Smith come in, who you know has been primarily known for Doctor Who and The Crown, what what is your initial response when you see an actor come in that you know has always done things completely opposite of the character? Well,
1: actually. it's not the a kind of movie that Ryan Gosling directed, I and mean, they think these scenes, these very, very disturbing scenes between him and Patricia Rowan that are so scary and he's so unnerving, and that he's American. And uh, I, I recommend watching him in those scenes because uh, whenever I saw those, it's like, yeah, wow, well, he could do Charlie, no, no problem. Um, and he's, he's not playing. He, Someone exactly like Charlie, but he's playing somebody very frightening, and yeah. <laughs> and crazy, a little crazy. So it's like, no, this this
0: guy can play He's one of those chameleon actors. Kind of yeah, he 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 absolutely is. And I mean, th- this this spoke volumes to that of, of everything that he can channel. And I, I can only imagine what it was like to be on set and be in that moment. You know, especially the moments where you know he's sharing the scenes with Hannah Murray and their their mm-hmm. chemistry is is so is eerie in a way with, with how yeah. perfect they work together where you can just feel the manipulation of of Leslie happening in those scenes yeah.
1: and and Hannah has so much vulnerability and emotional openness that you she really takes you in and brings you with her and in, in anything that she does that so you feel with her and you're kind of scared with her so that was very important for that character because she's going this place.
0: Yeah. Now, there, there, are, there are elements to this, you know, where once the once they, once they stop being, start being taught in prison, you know, helping them understand kind of their value as women and not, you know, just these pawns in Charlie's game. How do, how do you hope that that translates to, you know, some of the things that we even see in today's culture?
1: Um, you, you mean how people are manipulated? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's and we see it in politics, you know, we, we, we see cults everywhere, and I think it's people's what's well, that? People's desire for belief and desire, and 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 their vulnerability to someone who tells them that they know exactly what you know what the truth is, and in a way, to somebody who's kind of swaggering like Charlie and seems to have huge confidence. You know, With at Donald Trump. You know, huge confidence. You know, I you know a lot of fun fun man going on really. I'm a billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, are you really? You know, I'm the richest man in the world. You know, and I you know, I'm a hugely successful businessman. and and um, you know, just like the um, the head of that cult that's happening in, in Los that was happening in California that the that's gone on trial next to him.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: but that, that uh, yeah. I'm the most educated, most, uh, most most ethical person in the world. <laughs> okay it's like some ball front man. But he he convinced a lot of influential people so we need to really look at this and see how it happens and why does it happen and what's the vulnerability how does someone play on the vulnerability or people's desire for belief which is really the key in any fraud and all cults become like an arbitrary fraud is people's desire to believe
0: yeah that's very very true and i i i Kind of think it's funny that you know you 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 mentioned uh you mentioned Trump in there and when I was talking to Guinevere she mentioned you know if Charlie maybe just would have gotten that record deal you know all yeah. of these people could have been spared and I kind of thought to myself even when she mentioned that yeah it's kind of like if Trump would have just gotten that Emmy maybe we would have been <laughs> spared <laughs> yeah, if
1: he'd just on the Emmy just show was still going on he wouldn't feel the need you know all <laughs> right. to be satisfied I know I know <laughs>
0: So I, I, I've ab- us, so, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I absolutely loved the film. Uh, you know, it, it, like I said, I didn't know what to expect going into it, uh, just because I've seen so many, you know, films about the Manson family and stuff. And it was such a great, unique take on it uh, that I, I really am excited to see, you know, how people react as it hits theaters tomorrow, um, and hits streaming I know, in another couple weeks here. I, I think it's going to be something that's going to take people by surprise, uh, in telling the story.
1: Well, I hope you're right. I hope so. <laughs>
0: Thank you for, for the time words. Not, not a problem at all. And I look forward. I, I saw that one of your projects in development. Kind of, kind of going back to what we started at, at the uh, at the beginning. The '70s punk is that you're working on an adaptation of Please Kill Me, and I cannot oh, well, wait actually, to see actually,
1: that. Sadly, no, because we lost the rights to that. But, oh no! Uh, <laughs> we have other interesting. I've got other great projects. I've got a project with Glitter View that we're going to do, and uh, I have a project that I'm about to be uh this summer at the end
0: of the summer so well I, either way i look forward to the rest I'm, I'm sorry you guys lost the rights to please kill me i would have loved to see your your interpretation of that and uh yeah thank you thank you for taking the time to to come on and talk about the film thank you take care have a great day we'll see